welcome to another episode of our podcast, Discipleship Bible Study Group, our DBSGs, as is also known. I'm your host, Brother Rob, and we have our other host, Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, hello, hello out there. And on this podcast, we always take a look at the Bible and Christianity and really looking to understand and interpret the word of God and how we as Christians can apply that word to our lives. Uh, in that perspective, not only do we use the Bible, but we also take a look through the lens of psychology and science, as well as a little bit of technology incorporated into all of that mix to really get a full, well-rounded view of what it is that God wants us to do in terms of how we live our lives. And so each week in this podcast, we explore different issues. And this episode, we will be exploring the issue of marriage from our view, which is male, of course. And on the topic of marriage, we're going to explore all types of issues from different perspectives in terms of how we experience marriage, what are the challenges that come up in marriage, and how we can use the word in the Bible to address those issues. And to start off our conversation, I'm going to throw it to Brother Fred, who's going to expound on what we'll be talking about today in terms of marriage. Well, uh, you know, marriage is something that a lot of pastors and leaders of churches spend a lot of time talking about. And rightfully so, if, if you look at relationships as a whole, there's basically two major types of relationships that you see existing in the world today of you know, high-end importance. One is parent and child relationships, which you know that's a lifetime relationship. And the other one is the institution and sanctity of marriage, institution from the world's point of view. And, you know, it's a sanctity, holy thing from the religious point of view, as far as God's um, viewpoint. And we could spend probably weeks, right, Brother Rob, talking about yeah. marriage, what it is, what it isn't, what's right about it, what's wrong about it. It, it would be some interesting material and thoughts and you know, things that we're bringing about. But as the DBSG, we like to look at things from the, um, mainly from, from the gospel, from the word of God. And yes, like Brother Rob mentioned, we use support material, if you will, just to make it easier for, for non-believers who are listening to our podcast. Because if you are a believer and you know the word, then everything we're saying is going to make a whole lot of sense to you. So you don't need science, psychology, um, astronomy to make it work. But for the world who may not believe in the Bible, all those three things I just mentioned really point back to God. So on the discussion of marriage, um, and it's kind of interesting. I want to hear, I always do a definition of whatever we're talking about. But marriage is such an interesting topic of discussion we're just going to take our own interpretation of what we feel marriage is. And then I'll go into the word of God, what God said a marriage is. So brother Rob, what is marriage? How has it impacted and changed your life? Uh, well, I would say the definition that I think fits is um, you two people becoming one unit. And because it, even just the, from a non-secular point of view, you're just joining everything. Everything, what's yours is theirs and what's theirs is yours. And it's kind of a changing of a mindset where you're not thinking of yourself anymore, but you're now thinking, you know, decisions that you're making, how they're affecting more than just you. 
but um, it's definitely becoming, um, to me, it's becoming one unit. And that seems to be um, what my experience has been. Um, you know, it took a while, you know, before I realized, um, at first, even after I got married, you know, even when we would, let's say we had discussions where we were having different points of view, you know, I still kind of jumped into my single mode where it was just like me, what I was thinking about, what my point of view was. And, uh, but as I, the longer I was married, the longer the discussions kind of started changing into, okay, what is this, what is this issue that we're dealing with, not what issue I'm dealing with and you're dealing with. So it's definitely to me becoming one with another person, which is interesting and weird at the same time, because, you know, it's interesting that now, you know, you basically have to consider someone other than yourself, you know, and you're not operating in two hemispheres anymore. You know, it's not just you, it's not just being a person in the same house, you know, with someone. It's definitely you basically having to be concerned about not only yourself, but someone else, which is very, it's just very interesting mode of thinking, especially after, you know, you live so many years, you know, just focused on yourself and kind of considering someone else that they need help or, you know, uh, but in this case, when you're married, you know, if something's happening to your spouse, then it's kind of happening to you too. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's kind of doubling your, your imprint on the world, you know, being a married person. So, but that's what to me with the definition is, uh, two becoming one at its simplest. Yeah. You know, what you just said is so true and you're right from God's viewpoint when, you, when a man who findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. In God's eye, you are considered one flesh. You are considered one flesh. You all, you both have your separate spirits, but in God's eyes, you are one entity on this earth. Of course, in yeah. heaven, there is no marriage other than the fact that we belong to Jesus. We go back to him. That is the, you know, like, for instance, Jesus is going to come back one day and, and redeem his church and bring his church back home. The wedding feast is what is what has been called in the Bible. So, you know, the fact that God is calling uh, Jesus return to bring his church home, the wedding feast right there alone, lets you know how important that the, the word itself is and everything underneath that is to God. And let me give you my definition, then I'll, um, and yours was beautiful. I mean, it's, it's really oh, nothing I can add to that. I mean, you hit the nail <laughs> on the head. My perspectives of marriage is a little different than yours. To me, my wife is my rib. I have no yeah. other way of saying it. If you've ever had a bruised rib, broken rib, you can't breathe easily. It's hard for you to eat. It's hard for you to laugh. Forget about fighting. You can't run. You can't roll over. It's hard to take a shower. You can't sleep well. Your ribs are an important part. Even though they protect the vital organs, they are an important part of your overall, especially mental and physical well-being. So when the Bible says, you know, your wife is your rib, as in Eve was taken from the rib of Adam, Adam, that means she's a crucial part of who we are as men. She's a crucial part. And women, 
And I've heard a lot of women say this. I don't need no man. I don't need no man. I don't care about no man. I don't need no man. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. It seems to me, and Brother Robert, I can only give you the male point of view, but from my, from what I've noticed, women seem to be hardwired by God. That's why I said a man who findeth a wife findeth a good thing, not a woman who findeth a man. So it's not woman's responsibility to go out and seek a husband. It's her responsibility to continue to ready herself and get herself ready for the man that God is going to send to her. That's why a man who finds a wife finds the good thing. So when women say that, I don't need no man, I don't need no man, what they're doing, they're taking um, something that's holy that God put inside them, and and they're applying the world's point of view to it. Because men, there's something inside of a man that will always make us want to seek a woman. I like what Steve Harvey said. He said, I was okay in my life until I found out about women. I ain't been right ever since. (laughs) (laughs) And it is so true. We were totally different. Were were we, Brother Rob? Until we find out about women. And I'm not even talking about the physical nature of a woman. Just in general, the way they talk, the way they look, the way they smell, the way they handle pressure, the way they do anything is so unique, so uniquely different than the way men do it. When a, when a young male child notices that, you are forever changed, galvanized. You look at the whole world differently after that. Yeah. You really do. I know I have. I'm sure you have, too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear my roar? Roar! Oh, hey, we're all in here. So everything about our anatomy and physiology suggests that. The way they develop and change, getting ready for their bodies to bear children, the way ours change the muscle mass and strength, the Adam's apple, the whole, you know, changes we go through in our teenage years to get us ready to be fathers and gatherers and hunters and, and everything else that we do. I mean, yeah, we, we working in offices wearing suits and having ink pens, but men still has that, I need to control, divide and conquer. And yeah, it's very primal out there. It's very primal, very primal. We maybe wear Brooks yeah. Brothers suits and carrying briefcases, but we're still the same. But here's what's interesting. Men haven't evolved much, but women have. And it forces us to embrace those changes women have made because when you go into different societies all over the world, a woman's role in, in, in that particular society and family is entirely different. If you look at the, you know, the way they live in England, the way they live in, in the Muslim countries, the way they live anywhere on the globe in India, um, is, is entirely different. I would say some is better, some is worse. I don't, you know, being in America, I, I think uh, we provide a lot of freedom and protection to women and and we try to be more on the mindset of them being equals to us and even the bible states that we're going to go to a few scriptures here in a few seconds but um it's it's just amazing it's just marriage is just absolutely amazing when i first got saved brother rob and i was married very young my attitude about marriage then was oh my goodness God only wanted us to be married because he wanted man to stay humble. So give him a wife. He'll get humble real quick. She's going to (laughs) humble and bring him to his knees. And 
that's partially true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts, Brother Rob, before we open up a few scriptures and, and uh, some stats? I love stats. I'll see what the scriptures have to say. It's pretty uh, interesting. I'm, I'm kind of curious what's the... Uh, well, I mean, it, what's interesting is there's so much in the Bible about marriage. And, you know, it's such a wide topic. So I'm kind of interested to see what, you, uh, what you're highlighting today. I found dozens, dozens yeah, of scriptures <laughs> about marriage and relationships. It's, it's, and, you know, the things that God said, you're not going to misunderstand this. So I'm not going to spend a whole, line, whole lot of time talking about it. You don't see that many scriptures relating to it. But when it comes to marriage or relationships and love, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of scriptures pointing to how we should live and, and um, it coexist with one another. So right. I, you know, I found an article that says marriage is a sacred vow between a man and a woman to become one flesh. As the scripture says, God's view of marriage is the divine plan for sexual relationships to secure stable families and committed parents and spouses. The Bible provides numerous verses that, guide, that give guidance for married couples, husbands, wives, newlyweds, hello, Brother Rob, and engagement. <laughs> Scriptures offer valuable wisdom and advises whether you are considering a dating relationship, planning a wedding, or finding your marriage struggling. And the scripture I found is Mark 10, 6 through 9. Mark 10, 6 through 9. And it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Amen. Yeah. So Amen. those are three uh, verses that hold a lot of power as to how we should go about um, finding a mate, how we should treat that mate. And I mean, that last part, what God has joined together, let not no man separate. So in and other words, society, like, oh, my you know, marriage, is, marriage is so even when you're seeing like, OK, yeah, there's a lot of divorces, but even getting a divorce is not a simple thing. Uh, you know, I mean, you hear some cultures where you just move out of the hut and you're done. But, you know, that's a lucky culture if, you know, that's how it's really done. But. You know, it's, but it says a lot about marriage, you know, and how society holds marriage, which I think is encouraging, which is that, you know, it's not easy. I think the fact that it's so hard to get out of the marriage, even if you're like, even not just on the secular level, but on a non-secular level, um, it shows a lot in terms of what a marriage really is. You know, you're really melding into another person. You know, you're becoming a new unit and, you know, it's treated, divorce is treated as if you're basically tearing a body apart. And, you know, but I think that's a very strong statement. And I think that when you're talking about marriage and considering marriage, I think that's, you know, some of the things you consider, which is that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm really committed to this person. And, you know, it's, if I decide to just leave or, you know, I don't want to be in this no more, 
you know, it's not going to be simply walking away or just making a phone call or sending a text. You know, you're really, you know, really, really, really undoing and untangling something new and different. And I don't know, you've had the experience yourself. And, you know, I guess, too, the, the bigger question I, I wonder is if you felt like a different person after you had your divorce. You know, did you feel like you were, you know, the same person that went into the marriage that came out of it? Or? Some of my some of the worst times in my life was when I was getting divorced. I am not yeah. going to lie that the, the, the few times I hit rock bottom in my life when I was considering suicide and tried it, but I didn't succeed. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I tried, but I didn't succeed was when I was hitting rock bottom coming out of, uh, of my marriages, both of them. It was the worst time in my life to include I'm retired military. And I spent time over in Bosnia during the Bosnian conflict and almost lost my life over there. Me getting divorced was worse than that. It was much worse than that. I was, it took me many, many, many years to come to grips with what I had done wrong. Many, many years. It it was like, it's almost like taking a knife and cutting your artery and the doctors patch it up, but it'll never work the same again. And the, when you're out in the world, as a married person, when you're out in the world as a getting a divorce, when you're out in the world as a divorcee, you only can heal so much in the world because outside of the worldly things, people fight over in a divorce, the home, the children, who's going to get the BMW, blah, 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 the money, um, Everything else, and that's only the 1%. The other 99% is on the spiritual side that the world is not even aware of because you you hit the nail on the head, Brother Rob. When two people become one and you get divorced, what you said is really true. You're basically taking that one person and tearing them into two separate pieces and saying, survive. It is... is, Without the guidance of God, I'm going to go on record for saying this right now, listener. Without the guidance of God, you are not going to properly heal. You're not. You're going to be a something else. You know, there was this one wrestler that said this. He called another wrestler. You're just a piece of meat with two eyes. (laughs) That's what he told (laughs) you. You're just alive. You're not living. You're just alive. So what do people do when it, in those situations when they're in the world? They go out and jump into other relationships. They start uh, abusing alcohol and drugs, right? They be in denial. You go through depressions. You bury yourself in things like work and school and other projects and things to try to forget about that person. But on a mental, spiritual, and physiological level, when you become married to someone, and this is the reason why world, you should, even when you meet someone and you're dating, when you touch her, guy, this is all for the male listeners out here. When you touch that woman in God's eyes, you just bought her. <laughs> so for these men that have slept around 30,000 times and they're proud of it, 
you got 30,000 wives as far as God is concerned. Because every time you touch a woman physically, her body starts to change emotionally, physiologically. And I know we have this new thing now where you can just go on to a uh, television show and find a date, go to a television show and find a wife. Find a husband or a wife. Oh my <laughs> Married at first sight. Lord, have mercy. Lord have mercy. <laughs> these these <laughs> the devil got people all screwed up. Bro, no, you, Ross, can people, are, you can just yeah. tell people who have not been married. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You were not finding a, you're not finding your your spouse on a TV show, and you never met. <laughs> I had a close friend of mine that told me years ago that there was this guy and gal who met in a club on a wild night out. Thirty years later, they're still married and still happy. Okay, I get that, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's the one out of ten million <laughs> that actually. Yeah. I'll say it doesn't work that way. Yeah. For the rest of us, it don't work that way. So in no. your opinion, Brother Rob, what are some of the things, um, and I, I found a list of six or eight of them, I'm going to read off this one um, article that I found, but what are right. some of the things you feel that is, is really challenging and destroying the sanctity of marriage today? What's interesting is, um, I guess just, you know, having been exposed to the church as a young person, I always actually took marriage and looked at it seriously. I was kind of critical of people who had premarital sex or who even just did anything that in my eyes were kind of opposite of being married. And so I think there's a lot of things to it though. Um, I think one is uh, there never really is a, I think sometimes we don't treat marriage as seriously as it should be. I think it's um, treated sometimes as more of a casual thing. Uh, what you often see is that um, the focus of marriage, especially what influences us, is society. What we watch, what we read, what we see in magazines, what we see in our communities, in our social groups. I think that influences us more than what is in the Bible. But what's in the Bible is actually more positive about marriage than what's out there in the world about what's, what's, about what's going on with marriage. So, for example, I would say that when you're when you're talking about marriage or thinking about marriage, you are, especially according to the Bible, it's a special thing. And with marriage, uh, marriage can be a very strong bond. I think it can be the foundation of several good things. Um, if you look in history, you often see that some of the most successful people, you know, came from families that were rooted in a couple that were married and who had a common vision for what their family was going to be and what they wanted to do in terms of impacting the world. So you see, you know, when you look back at some of the more powerful people, like let's say Martin Luther King, for example, you know, you look and say, okay, you see that his parents were married in love, according to the Bible. They had a strong foundation in terms of what type of children they wanted to raise into the world and to go out in the world and what they wanted their children to be like when they were adults. And I think that is an example of a marriage being a good thing and being something according to the Bible. But what you see in society is it's more of almost a dream where, you know, you find someone who you're attracted to because they have a good job or they're extremely attractive or you like the way they look in their clothes or you like the car that they have or the house that they have or the money that they make or how you're um, the, the woman or man that you're jealous of 
response to that person and you're going to get that person so that you can feel better about yourself and all of these different things that motivate people to get married in secular society are really more of treating marriage almost as an afterthought and really just looking at marriage more as you know something cool to do and when you look at marriage that way, when you go into marriage that way versus going into marriage where in the way that the Bible encourages it, then you get different results. I think that when you go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to become one with someone and we're going to build a life and a family, then your, your priorities are different in the marriage. You know, you're really focusing on being with that person. Whereas if you're looking at marriage from a secular point of view, you're really thinking more about the superficial things like, oh, what is my name going to look like when I change it? What is my wedding dress going to look like when I get married? Oh, we can, we're going to have a nice house. Where, where are we going to live? And what are people going to think of me when I'm a married person? And how are they going to view me when I am married? And <clears throat> we're able to have this life that I would not have as a single person. So overall, I think that with marriage, when you look at it from the biblical perspective, it's a is a very strong and powerful thing that can, in my eyes, really make you or give you a happy life. Um, one thing I always say, and just an, an expansion of what I think is that if you want to be successful in life, I think part of it is being blessed with a strong support system. And that's where marriage comes in. Uh, that's where a family comes in. So sometimes when you're seeing people who are successful in life, sometimes you realize that it's based on the fact that they actually have a strong support system through marriage. It's kind of interesting, Brother Rob, because you and I being strong Christian males and wanting to base our marriages on what God wants it to be, right? The world right. looks at us as being idealistic and kind of out there. You know, we're sort of space yeah. cadets that we know what we're doing because we're not willing to fluff it up like like it's a talk show and you can after five episodes you can have the woman of your dreams you know and, and get married right on tv and you well, people, did the selection people, people who are single will debate you about marriage they'll be, and they'll find an excuse to say to basically uh explain why you're married but what you're telling them isn't what marriage is about while they're single and they're telling you why it's hard to get married, you know, and it's, kind of, it's a very interesting phenomenon to see, you know, I see it with my friends now, um, especially now, I guess I'm on the other side of marriage, you know, from a more recent perspective, but you'll often hear them say, oh, well, Rob, you got lucky, or, you know, it's easy for men to find wives, and, you know, you don't have any clue what it's really like, even though, you know, I dated for two years and got was engaged for six months, and but, and I don't, I don't consider myself an expert, especially as a newlywed, but the bigger thing that um, you find is that, um, I think it's all about your perspective. You know, I think with marriage, and what you'll find is you're not gonna immediately change in marriage, but you gradually change in marriage. And that gradual changes where you, you kind of start realizing things, they kind of sneak up on you and you're like, the bigger thing you find is you're doing things different from what you did. And you'll just like, one day you'll be looking at something that you're thinking of. You're like, wait a minute, that's weird that I'm thinking of things in this way when I used to think about them as just a single person and how they affect me. But, you know, going back to, to your question, I think the bigger thing is that with marriage, it can be an, it can be a dreamland. It could be a dream scenario. You know, marriage, you don't have to be fighting all the time and, you know, arguing and constantly being, you know, you know, at words with your spouse and all of that stuff. 
if you really attach it from the biblical standpoint, you're going to find it, it actually is the hokey, donnery type of experience that you kind of saw from the 60s and the 50s when society did really uh, emphasize marriage as a really, you know, really emphasize marriage as a cohesive unit based on the Bible, whereas today marriage is more about just two people coming together. So, uh, but that's my take on it. With the, with the, with the marriage can be everything that, you know, it's kind of made out to be, but it has to be from the right perspective. It can't be from a secular view of, you know, the superficial things that are emphasized in our society. Well, I found a good article by, uh, mm-hmm. her name is Rachel Pace. She's an expert blogger. And this was written in uh, or updated in 11 August 2020. So it's very fairly new. 20 most common marriage problems faced by married couples. I'm not going to go over all of them, but number one on the list is infidelity. Infidelity. Yeah, yeah I think it's, you know, it's a struggle, especially, I think. Um, but it kind of goes back to your thinking. You know, when you really enter marriage, you really have to say to yourself, All right, am I really ready? to just be with one person for the rest of my life, you know, and that's, that's not an easy thing to enter into or get out of. And I think sometimes it may take some time to transition into the mindset of being married and being faithful, but you know, it it is, it is definitely a challenge, especially in this world where now you have websites where you, if you want to be married and finding, you know, a mistress, you know, they, they have, you know, websites and apps just for that. <laughs> so, wow. you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a crazy world out there, but, but it is a challenge though. And but I think at the end of the day, it's, um, it's just about the commitment, you know, it's like, are you going to be mature and, and be a husband? Or are you going to be just a boyfriend with a ring on, you know? <laughs> Uh, number two is, is closely related to infidelity is sexual differences. And they state in here the most common sexual problem within a marriage is a loss of libido. So it's kind of interesting. I wonder yeah. if that's more, you know what I mean? Is that, you know, just that, okay, yeah. You do hear like, you know, as you get married longer, you know, just think other things become more of a focus, you know, as they should sometimes, you know, children bills stuff you know everything that can kind of not put you in the mood you know to be with your spouse but uh, but also too is that an age thing you know when you know as we as we get older that's something that sometimes people experience just on a natural level you know, absolutely some of it is some of it is age related but yeah. my perspective on that is this when you let god do what he wants to do which is shoulder and take care of all of your problems, then you're going to find you have no stress in your life, more time, more energy, more everything. A lot of people get themselves into trouble with this second one here, um, sexual differences, not only because, you know, biological reasons, which I get that, and it's kind of interesting that they we feel as a society, you know, our first impression about that is only women experience issues with libido. But that's not true. Men also experience libido issues as well. We just like right. to push it off on a woman and, and say that hers is more significant or more of a problem. But that is so not true. Um, values and beliefs. 
Um, life stages, that sort of fills in with uh, the second one there. Traumatic situations, which, I mean, there's some traumatic situations that totally destroy marriage. I get that. Yeah. I already mentioned stress, boredom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop on boredom for a second. <laughs> like, boredom. I mean, okay. Uh, I don't really get that because I'm never bored, but that, that uh, but you do hear people who do get bored, but that, I don't know. Maybe I'm too judgmental where I say that's more on, that's something about them than it is on the marriage, on, on marriage as an institution. But I don't know. What do you think about the boredom issue? I think it's very possible because, um, you know, who's that? I, I like quoting Chris Rock because he says a lot of things from a comedic point of view, which is so true. He said at one point, you get to the point in a relationship where you've heard every possible thing that could come out of a person's mouth. Remember I told you about that time? Yeah, you told me about it. Don't tell me about it again. <laughs> I don't want to hear that story no more. And I kind of get it. Uh, when you've been with the person 10, 15, 20, 30 years, from the secular world point of view, it is going to become stagnant because you're not doing anything new anymore. But see, God fixes that issue. God puts a humility in a husband and in a wife that you don't take those little things for granted anymore. Because as soon as you start taking those little things for granted, Brother Rob, your mm -hmm. marriage is going to become dull sooner or later. If yeah. your wife makes a cup of coffee for you every morning and puts it in the same exact spot with the right amount of cream and right amount of sugar, that's her way outside of her physically telling you this. I love you so much. I'm going to make sure every morning you have your cup of coffee ready for you. And, Definitely. you know, the world goes big deal, big deal. It's just a cup of coffee, big deal. But it doesn't have to be something extravagant and see this is where the world gets into trouble right, the secular the secular world makes you think that if you're not jumping out of a hot air balloon for your <laughs> spouse every morning <laughs> with, with no bungee cord attached that <laughs> you yeah. don't love them and you're not you're not taking care of them and no that is a lie. It's those little things that keeps couples together, not the big things. Because remember, right. when you and your wife first met each other, Brother Rob, what attracted you two to each other, other than those physical things, right, was right. those little things. Those little things made you go, wow, I like the way she does blah, blah, blah. Because remember right. that old cliche, opposites attract so my wife for me even though we we do a lot of things together we are alike in a lot of ways we are also different and those differences i look at her all the time and marvel at how she does certain things she may not be aware that i'm doing it i'm just sitting back going wow i love the way she blah 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 and, and think about yeah. blah blah and it keeps me, it keeps that attraction going. It keeps the humility yeah. and the humbleness going. And Definitely. yeah. Yeah, it makes you, you know, you're always, there's something, I, I see it as, there's always something new or refreshing. You know, when someone still is impressing you years later, you know, that 
that in itself is, you know, a way that you keep a marriage going. Like you're saying, not taking things for granted. Like, you know, even though you've seen that thing a thousand times, it's still impressive that 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 person does is able to do that or that they do things a certain way or how they react to certain things or how they handle things. You know, it, it's definitely, uh, it's like um, physically you're feeling an emotion of, um, of something that's impressive and new and that never grows old. That, do, that doesn't go stale. That doesn't, you will never be bored of that feeling of being impressed or being like marveling or something like, oh, like, wow, it's just, it's amazing how that person does that. <clears throat> and and for us men, you know, men are physical creatures much more than women. And we there's tons of scientific data showing that, that men have a higher perception of a physicality than women do and pay attention to more things in those areas. So yes, wifeys, we enjoy you physically, looking at you, being around you. Uh, do you know, did you know that women's pheromones change to match yours? Yours will necessarily change to match her. Hers change to match yours so that she becomes more, over the years, you love her. You, it's like an animal thing where just her pheromones will drive you crazy. Yeah. And that was no mistake. That's something God purposely did so that your, your wife will always be attracted to you on a basic level. Right. Next yeah. on this list, number eight, jealousy. I don't understand that one at all. From a secular point of view, if you married the wrong woman, listener, if God is not, in, not at the head of your life and you marry the wrong woman, I could see number eight being you know, applying to you, may apply to you at some point, and that's jealousy. Outside of that, I don't really get it. I, I'm not jealous I think, of my I wife or anything. I think jealousy, too, can also be that people are jealous. But you're not jealous of your spouse, but it's that you're jealous of the attention that they could be getting. And that could tell. So, for example, you might be accusing your spouse of um, egging someone on or teasing or flirting or, uh, you know, you're, you're, you could be looking at them saying, oh, well, I don't like the attention that you get. You must be doing something to get that attention. Or like the, where this comes in, for example, more of the newer age is where the younger people will be upset about <clears throat> what their significant others or spouses are doing online and in social media. So like, for example, someone, you you notice your spouse um, just accepted a friend request from their ex-girlfriend or their ex-boyfriend. And all of a sudden you're interpreting that into all types of ways. But at the basis of all of that um, interpretation that you're calculating in your mind is jealousy. And you're, that you're, and it is natural to be jealous of someone who's trying to, you know, talk to your spouse in a certain way. But, you know, and, you know, something I'll hear with my friends or even like my wife, like she'll tell me sometimes like guys try to slide into her DM and stuff like that. And there's a little tinge of jealousy, but obviously I have a perspective that she's not encouraging that. That's just the natural hunt. That's how the natural hunt, you know, from men go where they'll just, you know, try to talk to a woman who they're attracted to regardless. But of course, you know, not, you don't know everybody's status, you know, before you approach someone. But I think the bigger thing is that with jealousy, it, it can also be that, that maybe 
and that but it also can also be exposing an issue in your marriage in terms of trust you know if you are taking seriously that your wife is either friends with someone on a social app or a social platform or that there are certain people who are messaging her through the social app or social platform that jealousy might be wrapped up into where you're saying i'm jealous of the attention she's getting from other people and on top of that is she encouraging that and so i think that maybe too that's where jealousy might be an issue because if your marriage is you know if you don't, if you don't trust your spouse then obviously that's going to get in the way of, of keeping a marriage intact you know you you might say to yourself well you know what this they're getting so much attention. I think I need to get out of this marriage because obviously they're doing something to bring that attention to the marriage. And if they're not, like, and sometimes two people expect people to act, react a certain way. You know, they might, you know, you might have a wife that's saying, well, why aren't you telling her that you're married and, and going, you know, and that might not be your personality, just be mean to people just because they're trying to talk to you, you know. Um, I mean, luckily, I don't have that type of situation, but I know for me, even I like randomly the other day, I, I got a, you know, some woman flirting with me through a common, we were both friends with, on a social app with my cousin, and somehow, you know, this woman's talking to me, I didn't respond, but, you know, I, I, fortunately, I don't have a wife who says, well, why didn't you tell her she was married, you were married, blah, blah, blah. you know, so those are the things I think, too, that sometimes can factor under the umbrella of jealousy that, maybe they're referring to. Very good explanation. The next two are kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> trying to change each other. Woo, that's that's a big yeah. one. And that, that, I mean, I can see how it could be grounds for divorce. You know? <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta come at that a certain way. You know, especially if that's not who the person you were married to at the beginning of, the, of your marriage, you know, it's, you know, sometimes I think it's it, it can throw things off course if you are married and then all of a sudden your spouse is asking you to do things or think about things that are really against your character, you know, and sometimes it might be a means for divorce in that, you know, you just don't, you have to be true to yourself, you know, to, you know, be good in your marriage. And, you know, if your spouse is trying to, you know, lead you or influence you in a way that is definitely not towards your nature and not towards your benefit. You know, I can understand what that could be. You know, for example, I think some men sometimes in, in secular society, sometimes we, or you see the role of the wife redefined from when they first got married. So if you were married 20 years ago on TV, marriage was, you know, you're married, but you kind of, want to you know spice things up in the bedroom or whatever just to keep things alive you know maybe you guys go on dates and stuff like that but um you know one show i saw that was kind of making a joke of this was that um you know these days now the woman said you have to be you know these things that are expected of hookers and prostitutes are now suddenly things that are expected of wives you know how many nowadays it's not uncommon to see exercise classes where they're that women are burning calories by doing things strippers do on a pole, you know, and, you know, even like when, it, when you see sex being discussed within marriage on TV shows, you know, it's all types of stuff that, you know, you thought existed at a back alley in Atlantic City somewhere, you know, <laughs> so, so I can kind of almost see where like, you know, what if you are in a marriage where 
the person's influenced you to do things that, first of all, y'all didn't do when y'all were together. And two, are really more things that you're just seeing reflected in movies and society. Uh, one thing you notice, especially, you know, as the years go by, is that society is more tolerant sexually of things and they're tolerant of the discussion of things to where it's almost normalized. You know, now hearing about threesomes are something that you hear more about in society than you would even like 10 years ago. So, you know, what if you're in a marriage where, you know, that's not how your marriage started out and then all of a sudden your spouse is, oh, I was, I was reading this magazine and they were suggesting that maybe we should bring a third person in the bedroom because, you know, if that's not your nature, then that's what you're based on. But that's what they're pushing. You know, I can understand where that would be something that is basically trying to change you or trying to change what you're open to or whatever. And I think those situations do come up. You know, I think sometimes you're asked to, in a marriage that's not the strongest, you're asked to be somebody different than the one you came into. So but I don't know. What do you think of that? What do you? Because we're hardwired differently. Um, our, you know, it, we try to control each other for different reasons. Men try to control their wives because we think we're Tarzan, king of the jungle, and oh, beat my chest and try to tell you what to do at the same time. So for men, it's, it's that thing. You're trying to exert your control. And it's kind of interesting because it says in the Bible that man is in charge of his family, his home, just as Jesus is in charge of his church. But from the secular point of view, that turns into, oh, is, I'm hardwired to be king of the jungle, so let me tell you what to do, you know? Consummate yeah. mother whore grabbed you, grabbed you by the hair into the cave, <laughs> that old caveman with the club in one hand, dragging his wife by the hair in the other. And there's men running around here believing that nonsense. Okay. Yeah. Now, from the women, woman's point of view, it says in the Bible, her role in the family is supporter, which is a very important role. Because if right. men provide the umbrella, women control everything under the umbrella. You know, yeah. we look more at safety and security. The women bring the emotional strength to the family. And without that emotional strength and emotional leadership, your family's going to come unglued. But the world has turned that into, well, you know, you got to tell the man what to do because he don't know what he's doing. He don't know what he's doing. And it's kind of interesting whether a woman is uh, in the world, secular, or she's in the church, her approach is going to be very similar. So if, if you're in the world and your woman likes to party all the time and drink 40 ounce beers and curse and smoke, you know, drugs and whatever, she's going to try to turn you into a better beer drinker, a better smoker, <laughs> right? But a woman of the church, is going to, she's going to do everything she can with the power God gave her to make you a better father, a better husband, a better Christian. So amen. That's what we're both hardwired to do. So right. it's pretty interesting. The last one I'm going to go over, because this is a long list. I'm just going to do the top 10. And this is a huge one. Communication problems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Because everybody communicates differently. And you kind of have to know what your spouse's communication style is. Um, it can be formalized. You know, you always hear the five languages of love as one that's often referenced. 
where it points to how people acknowledge or interpret things through love in terms of um, <clears throat> do you show love by action? Do you show love by words? Do you show love by, uh, you know, doing things or seeing things or hearing things or, and, you know, um, just for those who are not familiar with that, who are listening to this, uh, The Five Languages of Love was a book written by a love expert who basically said, uh, couples uh, communicate love differently. Their expression of love is differently. So, for example, you may say, well, my husband doesn't pay attention to me. That's an interpretation to mean that your love language is action, that um, you, need your, you need your spouse to physically show or visually show you acts of love, flowers, roses, stuff like that. Or you might be a person who words matter to you a lot. So even if someone's doing doing things that are expressions of love, if they're not saying I love you, that might be something that might be an issue for you. So some people need to actually hear words that express love. Others, they need to see actions that express love, as well as three other ways that love is expressed. So I think with communication, part of it is you're just dealing normally with, you're dealing with a human being who was formed before you met them. So they have a way of just communicating things that may be just generally different. So you kind of have to figure out what's their style of communication. Is this person the one who is just quiet, but if you watch their actions, you're gonna see that they're mad, you know, or is this a person who they'll just run off the mouth and they need to run off the mouth in order to feel that they are being heard in terms of um, the expression of their feelings. So, um, but I think it's very tough because sometimes, <clears throat> you know, we're not, I don't think we're really trained to actually uh, learn how a per person communicates. And even in terms of just the marriage of being, being in a relationship, I think one thing that worked for me with my spouse is that we did premarital counseling. And we're still actually in counseling, but we don't really do it because we have a specific issue. We just do it because we feel it helps us make the transition of being two single people who are now married. So it helps us to bring up issues and have a dialogue about them in a healthy way, rather than basically us being married and not knowing how to communicate with each other and then blowing up into an argument when you know an issue comes to head. So I think with communication, um, the reason why it is such a big problem is that you kind of have to be very proactive uh, with your marriage, especially at the beginning, if at any point, just to really, find a way to learn how to communicate with your spouse. Um, for me, you know, I, I realized that I have a certain style of communication that's different from my wife. So, you know, when we're in counseling, we're able to say, oh, this is how your spouse feels about, or this is how your spouse receives information. You know, it's better to, you know, sit down and express something to your spouse rather than just sit silently and not say anything. So. I think communication is big. It really probably should be number two. Because, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes too, I think infidelity sometimes is a, also too about communication as well. You know, sometimes infidelity might be an issue where someone just feels they need more attention than they're getting, but they're not expressing that and they're not saying that. And so, uh, but I would put communication as a, as a, probably a number one to me in terms of- I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think it is number one. Dr. Phil said it on one of his shows a long time ago. Do you speak your uh, wife's love language? 
And oh, you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, women hear things poetically. They pre express themselves poetically. Like you said, yeah. you know, um, yeah, honey, you, you could go out, you can go bowling with your friends tonight. I don't really mind. Go bowling with your friends. What she's really saying is you can go bowling, but I would prefer if you stayed home with me. And if you were really paying attention <laughs> to her love language, the way she spoke it poetically to you, you would say, you know what, honey? I'll catch up with the boys next time. Why don't I stay home with you and snuggle up in the couch next to you? She didn't come out and directly say it, but she said it. You have to know how to speak your wife's love language. Right. You really do. And, and you know it. Men, we know it. How do we know it? Know that we know it. Because the things you were saying to her that made her fall in love with you, not the physical stuff, the things you were saying to her is part of the love language. So yeah. the things you said and did back then, you have to continue to do throughout your marriage to her. Honey, you are so beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I tell my wife all the time, you are so beautiful and exotic. And oh my gosh, I just love you. And I'll kiss her lightly <laughs> on the neck. I, I send it to get a rise out of her. And I've said it because I mean it. They know the difference. Right. So be sincere. Be sincere. But yeah. be honest, but do it softly. If her hair ain't looking quite right, tell your wife the truth, but say it in the right way. That's a beautiful hairstyle, honey. But remember that one you had two months ago? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was the bomb. That was beautiful. <laughs> See, you just told her this is not her best hairstyle, but you didn't totally tank this, just destroyed her battleship. You know what I mean? So it, it's interesting. So, Brother Rob, you know me. I love my stats. I love statistics. Because statistics are a viewpoint on what the world is or is not doing. So, of course, I got some interesting stats uh, about marriage and divorce worldwide and in the US. So let's start internationally first. I'm just gonna throw a few of them out there. What I did purposely, listener, I didn't wanna take any stats from 2020. Matter of fact, I didn't wanna take any stats from 2019. I took stats from, I would say about 10 years ago because I didn't wanna take the increasing craziness that's going on in the world and add it to that. I wanted to have a more stable platform for what was going on in the world at the time to show you how the world viewed marriage and divorce. So here we go. In 2010, 4.3% of women worldwide got to their late 40s without ever marrying. Now, here's the thing, that was 2010. Do you honestly feel uh, in 2021, 2020, that that stat got lower or higher? To me, it probably got edged a little bit higher. What do you think, Brother Rob? I would think, too, and only because you're seeing um, <clears throat> in the last decade that more and more people on a regular basis are using social apps to uh, find uh, romantic partners, including myself. And as a result, I think you would probably see, a, a, you know, some increase in compatibility and relationships and that are leading to marriage. Absolutely. And his next stat supports... What we just said, Brother Rob, the number of women who have never been married has increased in the two decades between 1990 
and 2010. Repeat that, repeat that again, please. The number of women who have never married has increased in the two decades between 1990 and 2010. So in those two decades, the number of women who have never been married has exponentially increased. That makes sense though. I think society was talking, at that time it was talking about women being more independent and really looking at the institution of marriage, you know, wasn't necessary for happiness. You know, could you, you know, or, you know, the other thing too that's been encouraged in our society is, you know, people being together without being married, even though they're still living a life as a married couple. Australia and Australia and New Zealand had the most remarkable increase of 9.7% from 4.4% in 1990 to 14.1% in 2010. So they had the most remarkable increase of women who had never been married. That's just amazing. In 2010, close to 5% of women and about 3% of men in their late 40s were either divorced or separated. Men are on average 3.3 years older than women during the, first, uh, during the time they first got married. In almost four decades between 1970 and 2008, divorce rate has more than doubled globally from 2.6 divorces every 1,000 married couples to 5.5. It doubled. Well, then that makes sense. It makes sense. Like, you know, I think before, just like socially, you know, especially for women, they couldn't even really be independent anyway. If they were in a bad marriage, they kind of had to stick with it because, you know, it wasn't like they could get a job. You know, they, women, especially, you know, women then weren't able to vote till you know, 1920s. I mean, it's just like, you know, there were so many things where a woman was really bonded to a man in marriage in a strongly secular way, not just, you know, I mean, strongly non-secular way, you know, legally. You know, women, I think, or at least from what I heard, they couldn't even have like their own credit cards until like the 70s or something like that. So, you know, you kind of had a society where a woman was kind of stuck in a marriage if she didn't want to be in that marriage, only because living independently, they still they still basically expected a woman to have a spouse, you know, there are to have had been married, even if they were like widowed or something like that. So it kind of makes sense. I can see that increase. Here's another interesting stat. West Bank in Gaza is ranked first with the highest number of marriages per 1000 population at 10.4% in 2017. So if you want to get married, <laughs> go, to, go to the West Bank in Gaza. Um, well, that kind of makes sense. It seems to be the culture kind of in, heavily influences that. But if you look at Qatar, it's ranked first as the country with the lowest number of marriages per 1,000 at 1 1.4% in 2017. Wow. Well, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> well, you got to remember, too, you know, you have like, I think they, they have like, you know, if you're rich enough, you have like three, four wives, you know, for one man. He's having like 50 something children. So I can only imagine, I can only imagine socially it's probably could be like an imbalance in terms of uh, how society views marriage and what you're expected to pursue in terms of your own marriage. You know, you don't hold off and wait until you're able to support, you know, more than one wife or a large family or, 
you know, are you a woman who is going to basically hold it out for a man who can support, you know, a large family if you want one yourself? I think there's so many social influences in, in that particular part of the world when it comes to marriage. Well, let's move to the U.S. because we know we got a lot of problems over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I saved the worst for last, right? In 2010, a statistical survey showed that almost half of Americans aged between 18 and 29 thought that marriage was already becoming obsolete. That's just, and that's 2010. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I think it's, um, well, I think for when you just think differently in your 20s and about what marriage is versus when you're in your 30s. And I think with wisdom, you know, like to say with age comes wisdom. And I think sometimes as you become older, you kind of realize what marriage could be, you know, what, or how, how, um, you know, what an impact marriage can have, you know, in terms of being a married person in your life. Whereas in your 20s, you're not really thinking about marriage, to be honest with you. I don't think these days, you know, it's not, you know, you don't need to get married anymore to, you know, have a house. And, you know, and these days, too, with technology and everything else, and just how we are as, as humans, you can't kind of hold off until your 30s to start a family. You're still going to have that same experience. You know, you're not going to be the old maid at 34. It might be a little, little it might be a little tougher, but. You're still, you know, you have these celebrities having babies at 50 years old. So, you know, <laughs> things are changing drastically. A total of 2.4 million weddings are performed each year in the U.S. In Nevada, though, they had the highest marriage rate with 26.7 marriage per 1,000 residents in 2018. Why? Because you're right. Marriage is like a matter of fact, my second wife and I got married at the Little White Chapel in Vegas that Michael Jordan and his wife got married in. And you know what? His He got divorced and so did I. <laughs> but what was interesting is when we came out of the chapel, there was a woman across the street who saw us come out all decked out in that little suit and dress, arm in arm, big old smile, married. And she said, you two look beautiful together. But remember, people who pray together, stay together <laughs> i never forgot that to this day but did i yeah. do it no <laughs> but, but my current wife and i we pray together every day every day yeah. at least once a day we pray together i think nevada is kind of interesting but it makes sense there because it's if you look at different states and the requirements that you have to do to get a marriage license nevada has the most lax. So you can, I mean, you basically just have to touch down on a plane in the state of Nevada and you can already get, you know, you can get married. You know, it's very easy to obtain a marriage license and to find, you know, to find the chapel and everything else. Whereas some states, you know, there used to be a waiting period between, um, even some states still have a one day waiting period for you to get your license and get married. So if you're doing something on the whim, you know, whereas in Las Vegas, of course, that, that's easily able to do it would make sense that you find more marriages there. Uh, even with Kim Kardashian, she kind of tells the story of how with her first marriage, they just decided on, just to elope. And they flew over to the next state, state went to probably the same chapel you went to. <laughs> and, they, and she got married and then immediately regretted it just because she realized it was a fluke. And then sometimes too with um, society and TV, especially now, uh, I remember you know one of the episodes of Road Rules on the TV, 
was where their challenge was to get married and then get annulled in the, in, in the same challenge. And they actually went to Las Vegas because it's easy to get, you know, get a marriage license there with no waiting period. And they got their licenses. They went through with the wedding. They were legally married. And then immediately they had the lawyers doing the paperwork to file the annulment after they got married. But um, Nevada doesn't surprise me at all. You know, the easier you make it to get married, the easier you're going to see, um, you know, those type of marriages happen. And the same thing with divorce. Coincidentally, it's easy to get divorced in Nevada, too. <laughs> so when people, <laughs> people wanted to get divorced. Fast food marriage, fast food divorce. I think they had, I think they had like a six-week residency requirement. And then once you became a resident of Nevada, or you see, the celebrities used to hear about it all the time, where they would divorce their wife on one day and marry the next wife the next day. Which coincidentally, you know, last time you heard about that was with J-Lo and Mark Anthony. He divorced his wife. I think in the Dominican Republic and the next day he married, had a big, he flew to California where they had a, him and Jennifer Lopez had a big wedding the next day. He was married to a former beauty queen, divorced her. And then, and the next day there was, (laughs) he was marrying J-Lo. So you're trying Uh, to tell me he met her the next day, his future wife. He didn't meet her her, No, but they had, they planned it out. The second they knew they could go to, they, they knew they can go to the Dominican Republic, get a you know a quickie divorce, and he was able to do that. And then as soon as he, the day that he got it, the next day in California, you know him and J Lo had you know they already I guess decided they were. It was kind of interesting because the, they had the wedding the next day, so they obviously were coordinating that. I guess everything was going to go smoothly, so that you know by by the time that day came, they wouldn't have to um, you know there would be no hiccups. Yeah, because if there were, then he would have been a bigamist, you know, try, trying to walk down the aisle. But uh, but it makes sense where, you know, where marriage laws are easy, divorce laws are easy, you're going to find more marriages, divorces there. So that's why people don't get married in New York. <laughs> well, the, the Bible makes it clear about divorce yeah. and remarrying. It makes it crystal clear uh, yeah. about, about remarrying and divorcing. Yeah, you're pretty much married to each other to death. Yeah, God pretty much looks at it that way. I think he says infidelity and death is the only reason you can remarry. (laughs) So 65% of adults between the age of 30 to 34 have been or were married in 2010. 65%. I'm sure that number's dropped significantly since uh, 2010. The -hmm. number of Americans cohabiting reached 18 million in 2016 up 29% since 2007. So, yeah. you you know, that's what the devil has um, tricked the world into believing that you don't need to be married. You know, why, why buy the cow when you can have the milk for free type mentality right. where, you know, the sanctity of marriage has been um, pretty much overlooked altogether. And it's about doing whatever you feel is right as long as you're doing it peacefully. And that's how Satan tricks a lot of people. If you're not up running down the street, shooting at each other and throwing bricks and acting all crazy, then whatever else you're doing in your home. And I and I, I'm not using that word, those words lightly, whatever you're doing in your home, as long as you're not breaking the law, man's law is OK. But I'm telling you, listener, do not fall into that trap. It is a snare, a lie, and a ruse 
of, of Satan. It, it really is. Um, I could read a whole bunch more stats, but I only have one more. 17% of divorces in the U.S. are due to infidelity, 17%. So most divorces, even though infidelity was, at, was number one on that list, is not the number one reasons why couples are divorcing. Usually it's money, lack of communication, boredom, all those other reasons that we just talked about. It's very rarely due, for, due to infidelity. It really is. It's not due to infidelity. That makes sense. You know, I think I think infidelity is more an extreme reason. Whereas, you know, it, it just you know, at the end of the day, sometimes finances will kill your marriage. You know, and to be honest, goes back to communication too. You know, if, if the communication isn't there, especially when it comes to finances, Amen. then you know, it's just not. It's, it is not going to work. Because one thing about you know. A lot of people say, and I never said this, but a lot of people I hear say, you know, they kind of say that, you know, love is what can keep the marriage going. And I always say it's really more compatibility. You know, you can love someone, but their situation might not be compatible to how you live every day. And if if enough days go by where it's not compatible, you're definitely getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I found three scriptures for people who are uh, interested in getting married or already married. All three are to talk about the same thing, but from a different point of view. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, remember what Jesus did, the great sacrifice he did for all our sins. He did that. He made that sacrifice, listener, because he loved us. He loves us. And husbands need to love your wife with that same devotion. You really do. That same devotion. Now, Colossians 3, 18 through 19 says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the last one, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So that's pretty interesting, Brother Rob, that God's perspectives on wives' duties and husbands' duties, while being very similar, he gives different directions as to how we need to take care of one another. Right. <clears throat> well, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate balance. I think it's kind of what the bottom line of it is, you know, definitely finding, playing your role and, and sticking to it. You know, it's, it's something that's kind of opposite of what we hear in society, but uh, you know, it's just, it's just like I said, it's just finding that personal balance where you do what you need to do to make your marriage work in the eyes of God. So with the little time we have left, let me go over some things that's going to make some people uncomfortable. There's going to be two groups here that I'm going to make uncomfortable. People who are out here in the world having sexual immorality, whether it be man and woman, man on man, woman on woman. OK, and 
what marriage is and what marriage isn't. Marriage, from God's point of view, and I know this upsets the world because, you know, we live in a world where pretty much anything goes today. But from God's point of view, which is the most important view, marriage is between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. It's between a man and a woman. Now, that being said, church, this scripture is for you. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, you are not to go around bashing homosexuals, same-sex marriage. If they're wrong, let the Holy Ghost guide you on how to proceed with telling them that they're wrong. But to go around hating on those people, what you are basically doing is you are quenching the holy fire of God. God's, the Holy Ghost's fire. You're quenching that and allowing the devil to have more of a foothold into its belief system of what marriage and relationship should be. Because look at what Satan has turned it into. Satan has turned people who were homosexual or believed in same-sex marriage, who kind of kept things quiet, into them being the loud voice and us being the quiet ones. And if you don't 100% believe in same-sex marriage or you don't 100% believe in homosexuality, then you are evil, you are wrong, and you are hating. And I'm telling you right now, listener, if you fall into one of those categories, people who really love Jesus, like Brother Rob and I, do not hate you. I don't like your sin. I don't like your sinful nature. I don't like your sinful nature any more than I like my own. But I don't hate you. Why? Because you, we were all created in God's image. And to hate you means I also hate myself. And I don't hate myself. We are all beautifully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says. But we all fall under the guilty sentence of sin. Every last one of us. Every last one of us. And until you give it all to Jesus and admit you're a sinful creature and give your life to him sooner rather than later, you're going to fall big. And look at what the world has done now. Now, as far as sexual immorality, I have two scriptures there I'm going to read real quick before we close. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual immoral person sins against his or her own body. Let me read that again. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. 
And 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there's another scripture that complements that says saying, you do not own your own body. Your flesh is not yours. Why? Because your flesh, your body has been paid for your life with a great price. And that price is the blood Jesus shed on Calvary for all of our sins. So you do not own your own body. So you have no right to go out and demand anything, say I'm this, say I'm that. And probably the biggest one that really annoys me about this whole immorality thing is when people try to pin whatever lifestyle they believe in on God saying that, well, God made me this way. So because he made me this way, it must be right. God has never, ever made a mistake. God is incapable of making a mistake. God has never learned anything. So if he says going down the road to the left is a sinful thing, then that's exactly what it is. He didn't make a mistake when he said that. That's exactly what it is. Try, stop trying to turn it into something that is not. Now, do some men have more estrogen in their body than, than other men? Do some women have more testosterone in their body than other women? Absolutely. There's women with mustaches. There's men that are more effeminate. But turning it into something that is not and then trying to pin that whole thing on God is a lie of Satan to try to trick you and keep you away from God. So do yourself a favor if you want to. The, per the people I respect the most, even though they're sinning, are the people who don't try to pin their problems on society and God and just say, I just like being who I am. And that's just all to it. I can respect that person more than a person trying to make up excuses for what they are and who they are. Amen. Unto the Lamb of God. Um, any closing thoughts or words, uh, Brother Rob, you want to bring to the table? Um, I would just think that, you know, I'll just stress to those listening and to anyone who's thinking about marriage, just to really look at it, you know, from a more positive perspective. I think people actually look at marriage from it's almost like they compare it to being in prison, you know. Um, of course, it's been compared to that on a joking level, but <clears throat> I think marriage can actually be something that is enhances you more than it does take away from you. You know, I think sometimes people look at marriage as if I get married, I can't do this. I don't have a freedom. You know, all these things that people associate with are, you'll hear people often say that because of the assigned roles and responsibilities society has placed on marriage, that um, it deters them from being married themselves and you know one thing i say is that you can define your own marriage how you want you know at the end of the day marriage is just about you and your partner being one and that doesn't mean that you have to do whatever you think society expects of marriage it's more of you make your own marriage in terms of the bond that it is and the boundaries that it has and if you approach your marriage from that way and in the light of God, then your marriage is going to be an awesome experience. And, you know, that's what, you know, I would love to stress to people. But I think sometimes marriage gets a bad rap. But oftentimes I feel that reflects more people who 
haven't really thought down thought about what marriage is. And I think the biggest thing I see is when you see people who are they're actually acting like they're married, you know, living with their with their significant other, having families with them, uh, sharing property. You know, there's all the things you do in marriage anyway, but they just don't have a certificate. And it's kind of like, well, you know, you're already doing what marriage is. You just haven't acknowledged that. And you think there's some type of freedom you have, even though you're already locked into a lifestyle where you're really, for the most part, married in action. So, you know, like I said, I would always just stress people to look at marriage, <clears throat> you know, in the light of Christ and just realize that it's not taking away a freedom. It's just, a, it could be another level of freedom in terms of what type of person you become with the support of a significant other. So that'd be my last final thought on it. What about you? My final thought is this, and this is to the listeners out there. If, if you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord because your marriage is failing, you love your spouse, there's a lot of crazy things going on in your life and in your marriage, this is the perfect opportunity for you to get on your knees. You could do it with your spouse or you could do it by yourself. But either one, when you go to the Lord in great humility and respect and admit you're not perfect, you can't control the narratives in your marriage because one beautiful thing about relationships, you know, parent to a child, the child is 100% depending on you. So you can kind of get away with telling a child what to do, but you can't tell a spouse what to do. You can't beat a river into submission. The only thing you could truly control in your lifetime is yourself. That is it. And marriage is one of the holy institutions from the world's viewpoint, but a holy um, gathering of two people becoming one where you learn more about yourself than you ever wanted to know. You want to know who you really are? Get married. You'll find out very soon who you are because your spouse is going to push every button you thought you didn't have, did have, going to have. And the only way you're going to get through it, and a lot of people say, I don't need God because we've been married for 50 years and we're still together. But are you truly happy? Is she really telling you the truth about who you are? Are you really happy? Are you really treating her like your queen? Or are you just telling her what to do and she's just been with you forever? So I just this is just how he is. You know, that's what she's telling her grandkids. That's just how your grandpa, grandpa is. You know, if you really want to be free with someone, because I've done it, Brother Rob is doing it, you have to give your marriage, your lives, and your marriage to Jesus. That's the only way you're truly going to be free and happy in a marriage. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Amen. And with that, we'll leave that as our final thought. Um, I hope you enjoyed our episode with uh, our exploration of marriage and how marriage is viewed and could should be conducted in the eyes of the Lord about what marriage is like, what marriage could be, and what are the expectations in terms of uh, how you can have or go about having a strong marriage in the eyes of the word and the Lord. And with that being said, we'd like to encourage you to continue this conversation with us online. Uh, we're available on the social uh, media platforms, um, as well as where you get your local podcasts. Um, feel free to always check us out on Facebook where you can uh, leave a comment at our Facebook page, Discipleship Bible Study Group. 
And you can also check out the podcast as well and leave comments there, depending on where you access your uh, podcast. Um, we're at Podbean. We're on, uh, uh, you know, where you get your uh, podcast through Amazon or if you get them through uh, through your iPhone as well. So, um, and as well as uh, Google Android. So we encourage you, whichever way you are accessing this podcast or any podcast you rarely listen to, um, to please leave a comment and to uh, check out the rest of our previously recorded episodes as well. So with that said, I'm gonna ask Brother Fred to close us out with a prayer. Amen. Thank you, uh, Brother Rob, for a beautiful conclusion. And dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I wanna most of all give thanks to you because without you, Father God, none of us would be here. There would be no marriage. But dear Lord, Father God, you sent your son to model to us a most beautiful creator, Jesus Christ, who, who showed us how we should live, how we should treat one another, and how we should express our love and trust in him. And he will take care of all things for us, Father God. So I pray that any marriages that are struggling, falling apart, needs assistance, or they just need to know you, Father God, and give thanks to you every day. Touch those families, touch those lives, and let's conquer all the wiles of the devil while doing it, Father God. So we ask all these wonderful things of the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. amen. Thank you, listener, for listening and have a great week. Amen. Talk to you soon.